0: Good morning, Lighthouse family. So good to see real, live bodies here today. Would you join us in worship? I shouldn't say join us. Would you love to worship the true and living God today? Let's invite him here. Yeah. Say what you want to say, build what you want to build, just come, we just want you to come, just come, and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to.
1: God, that's our prayer today as we come into this time is that, that we would surrender our plans, surrender the things that we've carried in with us, surrender our expectations of what we think today will look like, and what we think our life should look like. And say, Help yourself to it. Help yourself to everything that we are. Holy Spirit, I invite you to guide this time. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. All right, you guys can grab a seat glad that you are here. Um, and I, I just, I really want to recognize what we have just been singing. Those are not just words that we're singing because they're pretty tunes. This is the cry of our heart that we would literally just kind of order our lives around what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And if so, he, if you he want... You ever have one of those mornings where you wake up and you're just not really awake and you look at your clock and you're like, it's an hour later than I normally would wake up. What's going on? And I'm even more tired than when I normally would wake up an hour before. Anybody? Or is that just me today? Because that's me today. And I'm telling you that right now, I have no idea what the next 45 minutes are going to look like. I just don't know. So here we go, right? A couple of things I want to let you know about before we dive in. Ladies, I know that many of you have been looking at the guys getting together for our men's breakfast and going, come on, when is it our turn, right? Do I need to have a white chrome some to be able to hang out with some people? You don't. And in fact, next Saturday is your day. Next Saturday you are having a women's brunch from 10 to noon. So if you don't know about it, if you want to sign up for it, if you want to find out more about it, there's a women's table in the back. Go and talk to one of the gals back there. Sign up for it. If you're online and you want to be a part of this, just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. We will get you signed up. Secondly, kids, and this is not for the junior hires and high schoolers because you will destroy them, but this is for our kids. We are having a Nerf battle war coming up here, not this Friday, but the following Friday. So for those of you who are kids or kids at heart and you want to just have fun, this is your time you get to hang out and then later on in the month on the 19th we are doing a lighthouse community fishing trip because some of y'all like catching fish instead of catching people i get it and so we're going to go and do that we're going to do it as a church family so we have actually chartered an entire boat and if you want to join us in that even if you've never fished in your life if you don't even have a rod or a reel we'll provide all of that all we ask is that you come and we will take care of everything else for you uh, they even serve food on the boat, and then if you just need to get yourself a, a, a fishing license, which it, you can get there, right, Jeannie? I, I took care of it this time, so now they know fishing license. Unless you're a kid, in which case you don't need a fishing license. Lucky, right? You just, you, you, Ethan, you want to grow up so quickly, but you don't realize the benefits of youth, man. All right, with that, moving on. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 12. We are continuing a story. This narrative that we began last week of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, uh, the triumphal entry that we celebrate every Palm Sunday, but we really leaned into last week this idea of this being an act of worship. And worship is one of those words. I got to tell you, it's it's a word that we use all the time in the church, all the time. And I think we use it incorrectly. I use it incorrectly. I keep referring to these guys as the worship team. And you know what that does? That falsely attributes to all of us this mindset that worship is just singing songs. And that is false. Now, we can worship through singing songs. Those songs are cries of our heart in the same way that the psalms were cries of those who wrote the psalms. But that's just a really, really small part of what worship is. And as we talked about last week... Worship has to do with every aspect of our lives, from, f- from the ways that we, we interact with our family, to the, what we do with our finances, to the ways that we fill out our tax return, to, to what we watch and consume, to the ways that we do our work, every aspect of our lives is an act of worship. And so here was the working definition that we started to wrestle with last week, worship ...is ordering your life around that which you worship, that which you value. It is an ordering of your life around the thing that is most important to you. And when you worship something, you are willing to sacrifice other things that you value greatly for, the, for that thing. And if you want an illustration of this, all you need to do is look at the Olympians... ...who have ordered their lives, ordered their time, ordered their diets ordered their mornings, their noons, and their nights around being able to compete at the highest echelons, right? They have ordered their life, and so when we talk about worship, we are not simply talking about singing some songs that we may or may not even resonate with, may or may not even sing it out loud because we're not sure if, you know, we, we, we can sing on tune or you know, it's not really our style, and and ultimately what we're doing when we're doing that is we're making worship more about us, rather than recognizing it's about Him. And every element, every aspect of our life is an act of worship. And last week, we got a chance as we looked at this triumphal entry to see some snapshots of people who, on the surface, claimed to worship Jesus. The first one we saw was this guy, Judas Iscariot. After... After Mary comes and anoints his feet with this really expensive perfume in in what he would consider a very wasteful manner and then washes his feet with her hair in a very uncharacteristic and kind of inappropriate way in that society... Judas Iscariot kind of shakes his head, and what he shows in his response to this act of worship, this act of sacrifice, this act of saying, you are worth far more to me than anything else in my existence, Judas showed that he didn't actually worship Jesus so much as he worshiped what he thought Jesus could give him. He was worshiping the fact that Jesus was on this upward trajectory, and if he could simply hitch himself to Jesus' wagon, then he would have access to Money, power, and prestige. That's what he was after. Which is why, just a short time later, when he realizes that that's not the kind of Messiah that Jesus has come to be, and that instead of kind of reaching the upper echelons of power in that power structure and bringing Judas with him, Jesus was going to challenge those things, and he was going to really probably not make it. And so Judas decides to sell out before, you know, his... his, investment's not worth anything. And he, so, he sells out Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. He worshiped what he could get from Jesus more than he worshiped Jesus. Or we looked at the, the crowds of people lining the streets, leading into Jerusalem, shouting, Hosanna, save us, right? And waving their palm branches. This was a political rally. They were excited because for Jesus, he was their Messiah, and they were right in that. But their expectations of the type of Messiah, this is where they got it wrong. Because they fully anticipated that Jesus would come sweeping into Jerusalem. He would go straight to the, the palace of, of King Herod. And he would kick him out and reestablish Jerusalem reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation in the world. Jesus would be their king. And he would reestablish their nation. And this was national fervor that got them to line the streets. This was rebellion. And they were excited. They were willing to bleed alongside Jesus so long as it fulfilled what they expected. But the moment they realized that he was not coming to do what they intended, what they thought he was. That he was not coming to attack Rome, but instead was doing something else that they didn't understand. Those cries of Hosanna change to cries of crucify him and here's what we see in this there are a lot of people both then and now that are willing to worship Jesus willing to order their life around and willing to follow him so long as he leads in the direction they want to go and he offers to them what they want but the moment that it seems that he is either unwilling or unable to produce what they want they walk And guys, this happens far too often. I will tell you that some of us in this room and many, many people around our world walk away from Jesus regularly because ultimately they have bought into the belief that Jesus' job is to make them comfortable. Jesus' job is to protect them from discomfort. And when it turns out that that's not the case, they walk away. So as we dive in today, what we are going to recognize is that Jesus wanted to challenge the perspectives, not just of those people, but even his own disciples, even the people who were closest to him, wanted to challenge this belief. That following Jesus was for their own benefit and saying, are you willing to follow me even when following me does not lead to what you expect it to lead to? Okay, so let's go ahead and begin reading now in verse 20 of John 12. And just as a reminder, Jesus has just made his triumphal entry. And now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we'd like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, there's some Greeks, there's some non-Jewish Gentiles who want to see you and talk to you. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life for this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Well, the crowd that was there and heard it, I, that was pretty good, wasn't it? I'm telling you, sometimes having a little phlegm in your throat really works out. I'm going to break out in a rendition of Old Man River a little bit later. Anyway. Thanks, Jeannie. appreciate the, 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 the honestly, you are protecting all of us from that. The crowd that was there and heard it who had spoken said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, hey, this voice was, not, was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now Jesus is not talking about, you know, having wires that will pull him up or even the Holy Spirit pulling him up and, oh and all the people I got. He's talking about literally being lifted up on the cross and dying. This is his idea of the Son of Man being lifted up. And let me also just really quickly clarify something. Jesus, a lot of times, will refer to himself in the third person as the Son of Man, which is strange, right? Because why wouldn't he just call himself either me, like refer to himself directly, or say the Messiah, because that's really what he was coming to be. But understand that Jesus knew that the term Messiah was packed with lots of expectations. So much so that it was almost like a tarnished word that he couldn't claim for himself and hope that people would hear him in the way he intended. So instead of using the the title Messiah to refer to himself... He uses the title Son of Man, which is actually pulled from the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet in the Old Testament. And Daniel recorded a vision in which he saw one like the Son of Man coming out of the throne room of heaven, radiant and glowing. And this was a picture of the Messiah. And so Jesus chooses that title, that picture, to talk about himself. People would recognize it was messianic. But it didn't come with quite as much baggage. And so that's why he chose to refer to himself that way. And he said, the son of man will be lifted up. And and, and when the people heard him say this, they said, well, who is this son of man? And then Jesus told them, hey, guys, you're going to have the light just a little bit longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the darkness doesn't know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you might become children of the light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Now, that's not the whole part of it, but that's how far we're going to get today because there's a lot to unpack. The first thing I want us to see is that right from the beginning, from where we started reading, it wasn't just Jews who were beginning to get excited about Jesus. In fact, some Gentiles, some non-Jewish people, don't get caught up in the fact that they were Um, God bless you, that they were Greeks, right? It's not a matter of the fact that they're from Greece that this is a big deal. This is a matter of the fact that they were not Jews, and yet they were excited to see Jesus. And so Jesus' disciples come and tell him, hey, there's some Gentiles who actually want to talk to you and, and find out about you. And Jesus responds in a really interesting way. He basically points to the fact that they want to talk to him as the sign that the end has drawn near. That it is now his hour. And remember, and you probably don't because we've been in John for so long at this point. But a number of times throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been recorded as saying, My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come. Hey, you should go up to Jerusalem and reveal yourself if you really are the Messiah. My hour has not yet come, brothers. Come on, stop pushing me. Well, guess what? The fact that these Gentiles want to talk to Jesus is a sign to him and to others that his hour has come. But why is that a sign? Why is that even important? First, it's important because Jesus recognized that he had not come just for Jews, which is really good news for most of us in here, right? Because most of us are Gentile by birth. We are not from the nation of Jews, but Jesus didn't come simply to reestablish Israel as a nation, he didn't come simply for that nationalistic group of people. He came for his coming and his sacrifice that he was about to make was good news of great joy for everyone, and that's a really big deal. Secondly, just to kind of give us some backdrop on this, we need to remember that John is writing in the city of Ephesus to a whole bunch of Gentile believers, people who are coming to Christ. And there was a lot of friction in the early church between Jews and Gentiles about what does it mean to follow Jesus. So the fact that Jesus is recorded as saying, I've come also for them, right? They're they're wanting to have relationship with me is a sign that the end has come. This would have been incredibly important To to kind of speak into this conversation of can a non-Jewish person embrace a Jewish Messiah without becoming Jewish themselves. And that was something that if you read the book of Acts is constantly being worked out. Okay, So that's why I believe John as he was recording his gospel felt it was really important to include that little detail. Because he was speaking to an ongoing argument that was taking place in the body of Christ at his time. And there were so many details he could have included about Jesus' life, but that was one that was important. So the fact that they are coming is a sign that the end has come. Because as Russell mentioned several weeks ago, in, back in, in John 10. I'm sorry, no, it wasn't Russell. It was, it was actually when uh, Josh was teaching on Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Do you remember this conversation for those of you who weren't asleep? He, he, he won't allow you to sleep like I let you sleep, Okay. He's got energy, that boy, and I'm grateful for it. He'd run more miles than you guys have ever thought of running prior to even getting up and teaching. I am so ADHD right now, babe. It's hilarious. Why are you laughing, Anthony? I'm just saying. We have no idea where this is going today. But Jesus, in John 10, said, hey, listen, guys, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. Right? And by the way, I have other sheep that are not of this pasture, but they're still part of the flock. Well, this is the first fruits of that flock coming. And so for him it is a sign that the end is drawn near. But here's the thing. Jesus recognized that people like Judas, as well as the people lining the streets saying Hosanna, are not the only ones that are following him with false expectations. He recognizes that even his own disciples, even the guys who are closest to him, who have been walking with him for three years, are carrying with them some expectations, some false expectations of what they're going to get out of this. Because in their minds, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, oh yeah, here we go. This is this is when he stands up to Rome, and this is when all the fun starts, and this is when, as his star is rising, our star star will rise. Let's go, Jesus. Jesus recognizes his own disciples are, are, are following him with some false expectations of what they will get out of it. And so he takes this time to turn to those who have, are closest to him and try to help prepare them for what's about to happen. So Jesus turned to them and replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I can just imagine the smile on his disciples' face. Oh, baby, this is what we've been waiting for. Come on, bring the glorification, Jesus. But then he reframes what he means by that in verse 24. Very truly, and anytime you see very truly, that is amen, amen. Truly, truly, I tell you. Whenever Jesus uses that term, he's saying something, he's like, pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I tell you. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my guess is if we were in that group and we were watching the faces of his disciples. They go from having Cheshire grins of excitement to begin frowning in confusion like, wait a minute. What, what, does, what does seeds falling to the earth and dying have to do with what you're going to do? Seriously, Jesus, what does dying have to do with glory? They don't get it. And I'm sure that they were incredibly confused about what was going on. But Jesus continues on. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, I would like to suggest to you that what Jesus is doing in this moment is modeling worship for his disciples. But wait a minute, Aaron. Are you trying to insinuate that Jesus, God in human flesh, worshipped? That's an important question, isn't it? Have you ever thought of Jesus worshipping? I really haven't. I've always thought of Jesus as being one of the triune Godhead that I worship. But if we step back from worship and recognize it's not simply singing songs, that worship is an ordering of your life around that which you worship, well, then isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Did not Jesus, with his own words, say, hey, listen, I didn't come to do my own will, but to do the Father's will. I don't do anything of my, on my own strength. I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus, time after time after time, Let's his disciples know, I am ordering my life around the Father. And if you follow me, if you walk with me, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father because I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus was a worshiper. And by that account, the cross becomes the single greatest act of worship in history. It's not just the single greatest act of love. From our perspective, it absolutely is. It was an act of love to be willing to die in our place. But in regards to the Father, it was an act of worship as well because it wasn't Jesus' plan. It was the Father's plan. In fact, and John doesn't record this in his gospel, but in the other gospels, we, it records this conversation between Jesus and the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane Where Jesus is on his knees saying, God, Father, (laughs) Abba, if there's any way that we can do this thing without me having to suffer and die, can we please do it that way? But, But where does he end up in that prayer every single time that it's recorded? But not my will, but yours be done, right? I don't want to, but I'm willing to. Jesus... Saying yes to the Father was an act of worship. Jesus walking to the cross was an act of worship. Jesus hanging on the cross was an act of worship. And it models for us what true worship is. Verse 27. My soul is troubled. Yeah. No, yeah. Because he knows what's coming. He knows what the next few days is going to hold. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. I'm sure that Jesus' flesh was crying for, I don't want to do it. But his heart recognized that it was for that reason that he had come. And so he willingly said, Father, glorify your name through me. That's an act of worship. Now what, remember I said earlier that worship is not only an ordering of our life around it, but it is a willingness to sacrifice that which we value what did obeying the Father cost Jesus? This is the interactive portion of the day. What did it cost him? Sorry, I, one more time. Everything. everything. Yes, that, that, that covers pretty much everything. Yeah. What did it cost him, though? What, of that everything, let's, let's break that down just a tiny bit more. His reputation, for sure, right? People, people, even, his, even the people who are excited about following him. Began to grumble about him because he didn't do the things that they thought he should do. What else did it cost him? To do this thing the Father's way. Separation from the Father. Father. As he hung on the cross and, and, and took our sins upon him. That moment of separation when our sin caused the Father to turn away in grief. Yeah. What else? Hurt. Did I hear that correctly, Cheryl? Maybe I'm just hearing... It, but it, it definitely hurt, right? It cost him his comfort, for sure. And I would say that comfort is perhaps one of our, our single greatest American idols. It cost him his comfort. He knew what saying yes to the Father would cost him. It would cost him, he would have to suffer. And he was going to die, so it would cost him his life. Those are things he wanted to avoid. No wonder his heart was troubled. But, Jesus also recognized That saying yes to the Father and obeying the Father would produce fruit. And this is where we get into the whole, why why on earth is he talking about seeds and dying and all that kind of stuff? Because he recognized that he was the first seed. He was the seed of redemption. And by him willing, in the same way that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, there was seeds of sin that were sown into humanity that have, from that moment forward, marked. and and our relationship with God have hindered us from having relationship with him, have gotten in the way. In the same way, Jesus submitting to the Father, willing to pay the price, willing to die to himself, was the first seed that in dying to itself began to produce the fruit of more seeds. The Holy Spirit was entrusted to us. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. You and I and every single one of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ who have been willing to follow him, who have been entrusted with the Holy Spirit, we are the fruit of his willingness to sacrifice. So not only was the Father's will carried out, God's image bearers were given an opportunity to be restored back into relationship with him. And not only that, the very purpose for which Jesus came was fulfilled. And then he turns to his disciples And he basically is saying, guys, if you want to follow me, you need to do the same things. And I know it won't be easy, but you need to be willing to die to yourself. Now, one last thing that came out of this, and this is just a really beautiful picture because it took a lot for Jesus to humble himself. A lot. It was going to cost him a great deal. In a lot of ways, you go, he went from going to be king to dying which is a pretty humiliating thing but because jesus was willing to humble himself the father was the one who ultimately glorified jesus this is where jesus's glory came out of was out of his obedience and out of his death can we throw uh philippians 2 up on the screen for a moment so this is this is a passage from philippians 2 one of my vi- this is probably the most the whole passage and we're just taking a little piece of it is probably the most powerful passage for these last couple of years of what it means to be a follower of jesus this is the tail end of it jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross that was his act therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow keep going and every tongue confess That Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. So because Jesus was willing to humble himself, the Father glorified him. The Father raised him, not only from the dead, but honors him. And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the fruit that came from Jesus' act of obedience. And then he turns to his disciples and he turns to us and says, If you want to follow me, then you need to take the same self-sacrificial posture you need to be willing to die to yourself and this is where i think jesus loses a lot of people because if i'm honest i don't like to die to myself i don't know anybody who does like to die to themselves dying is very uncomfortable Letting go of the things that we think we need is incredibly not fun. And nobody who is in their right mind when they just think about, would I like to live or like to die, I think pretty much everybody will probably choose to live over dying. And yet, if we're not willing to die to ourselves, we can't live for Christ. Following Jesus asks us to die. Now, he he uses this analogy of a seed. And I... I, I, I would love to pull up like a, a, a piece of wheat, but you wouldn't be able to see it on the screen, let alone in here. So I, I instead grabbed a seed that I have in my office. This is a seed that I picked up the last time I was in the, the Humboldt Redwoods. This is a, a cone that falls from a redwood tree. It's actually, ironically, one of the very smallest cones of all the conifers. Conifers are trees that produce cones that are the seeds for them to grow. And redwood trees, although they are the largest tree on the planet... In fact, the largest living thing on the planet produced one of the smallest cones. So, this is a redwood pine cone. Jesus uses this analogy to say, You are a seed like this. And, and I just want you to, in, for a moment, put yourself into this seed's shoes. It, it started its life up at the top of one of the tallest trees on the planet, it had a great view of wherever it was growing. Whenever the breeze would come through, it just got to be rocked to sleep, right? It was clean. The sun shined on it. People would walk through and look up with just awe in their eyes. It was glorious. But this seed was not made to reside in the boughs of that tree, was it? This seed was made to fall to the ground. This seed was made to be buried down in the soil, to get dirty. This seed was made to be rained upon and to basically be forgotten for a time. And unless that seed does that, it can never do what it was created to do. Now, if you were to give this seed, let's just say for a moment that this seed had sentience, it had the ability to think for itself, and you were to say, hey, seed, would you like to stay up at the top of the tree and enjoy being rocked to sleep every night and stay dry and clean and the sun shining on you? Or would you like to fall to the earth, be trampled into the ground, have people walk over the top of you, get dirt on you, and then that dirt gets rained on so you get muddy and ultimately break apart? Which would you prefer? Now, what do you think the seed would say? Let me stay up in the tree. I think if we were given that same option, To die, to ourselves, or to stay safe. We would all probably stay safe. Choose it in that moment. But this is where perspective comes in. And perspective is incredibly important. Because if all we see is the momentary cost, we will never choose to pay the cost. But if we can begin to recognize what. It, I know it costs me this, it costs dying, but this is what we get in the end, then that changes the equation. I mean, think of the Olympians for a moment. Wake up every morning, work your buns off all day long, then go work a job so that you can support yourself while you're doing this. Sacrifice the ability to eat pizza, sacrifice the ability to have ice cream, sacrifice the ability to stay out late at night. Yeah, no thanks. I, YOLO, baby. I, I only live once. I've I got to make the most of my life. But if you do that, then you will have the ability to, s- to stand next to the greatest athletes on the planet and compete at the highest levels. You will have the ability to represent your country. You will have the ability to perhaps win a medal. Oh, that changes the equation. Jesus had perspective. Jesus recognized it will cost me to follow my Father. But if I obey Him, not only will the, will the Father be glorified in this, not only will His image bearers be restored back to relationship, but I will fulfill the very purpose for which I came. In, that, in light of that, It's not such a steep cost, is it? He had perspective, and we need perspective. Because I will be honest, there are a lot of people who are following Jesus for the wrong reasons. There are a lot of people who, like the Judases, like the people thronging the streets, shouting Hosanna, like Jesus' disciples, are following Jesus because they think, if I follow Jesus, it'll make me comfortable. If I follow Jesus, he will give me the big house, the happy, loving spouse, the obedient children, the healthy body. There are some of us who chose to follow Jesus because we had the gospel presented to us like that. And if that's how you heard the gospel from me or anyone else, then I want to apologize on behalf of those who try to share the gospel with you. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of America. That is the gospel of the American dream. And it is false. Following Jesus will not protect you from discomfort. Following Jesus will not guarantee you a house or any of those other things. Following Jesus will not guarantee that your life will be difficult. Jesus warned his disciples, in this world you'll have trouble. Just last night I was, I was reading the story of the Sermon on the Mount with Grayson in his little action Bible. And in there at the very end I came to that part that we are all familiar with if you've ever read it. Where Jesus uses the, the parable of the, the man who built his house on the stone versus the man who built his house on the sand. Do you guys remember that? Have you heard that story before? I've, hundreds of times I've heard that story. But it hit me last night, because I knew where we were going today. It hit me, what did those two men have in common? Both of them endured a storm. The same exact storm struck both of those individuals. But what was the difference between them? One of them had built the foundation of their life upon ordering their life around Christ and his teachings, saying, I am willing to follow you regardless and that was the foundation that helped them to withstand the storms of life whereas the other one built their life upon their whatever else the world said this is what will make you matter and when the, that storm came the infrastructure of their life the foundation of their life simply couldn't withstand it and it fell so the invitation here is to follow Jesus. And again, I was saying perspective matters because some of us have been saying yes to Jesus with false expectations. And the moment that we realize that perhaps he's not leading us in the way we want to go, we do what many of the others did. Peace. And we walk the other way. I'm going to, he obviously, that was, that was a false gospel. And in fact, I'm saying, I'm sorry. It, he, I'm sorry. He's not the false Messiah. He's the true Messiah. We just swallowed a false gospel that says the Messiah should give you this. And that's not what he came to do. He came to sacrifice himself. He came to model the life of worship that says, I will order my life around you, God, because living for you is greater than living for myself. And this is where we need perspective. Jesus had perspective. Olympians have perspective. We need perspective. So let me try to get us some perspective. What is the benefit of dying to ourselves? What do we get out of it? Why on earth would a loving father allow us to suffer? I think it's a fair question, and I think he's a big enough God to handle that question. In fact, I think that this passage that we've been looking at speaks to it. Let's look at verse 24 here, because I think between verses 24 and 26, we kind of get the answer to that question What is the fruit that is produced from obedience? Verse 24, amen, amen, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So what is the cost of not dying to ourselves is the first thing that we need to answer. The cost of not dying to ourselves is we will never experience, we will never taste the fruit of what we were created to do. If a seed refuses to fall, refuses to die, it remains only a single seed. All of the latent potential, all of the purpose for which it was created will never be realized. But it, uh, all it remains is a single seed. And let's just change this for a moment. Let's pretend that I was holding an apple seed or any other, like you picked your favorite fruit that, that has a seed, right? Imagine for a moment that you are holding in your hand that type of a seed, and that's the kind of seed you are. If that seed, like an apple seed, refuses, I love Fuji, they're sweet, right? They're the sweetest type of apple, so that's what I'm thinking of. If I am holding a, a Fuji seed, a, a seed from the sweetest apple on the planet, that one seed, if it refuses to die, will never be able to nourish a single person, not one it will only be a single, little, bitter seed. But if that seed is dropped into the soil, trampled down, watered, begins to break apart, begins to order its life around what it was created to do, it's, it's uncomfortable, then consider the fruit that it produces. And that's what Jesus goes on to say. If it, if it refuses to die... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And if we are willing to die to ourselves, then our lives will begin to bear fruit. Lasting fruit. Spiritual fruit. Sp- fruit like love. world could use a little bit more of that. Joy. Not too many people are feeling all that joyful. Peace, patience, kindness. Boy, would I love to see more of that. Goodness, self-control. That's the kind of fruit we're talking about. The fruit that is naturally produced from dying to ourselves and ordering ourselves around another that says, would you follow me? Would you trust me? Would you let me help myself to your life? That's the kind of fruit it will produce. It will produce the kind of fruit that lasts Because as people are drawn to, as we reflect the light of God into this world, as our lives of obedience begin to change, people will see how our lives are different. And they'll begin to go, what what have you got that I don't? How on earth do you have hope in the midst of COVID? How on earth do you have hope when I am so dang lonely that I just wonder why keep going? How do you have hope when when, when our, our country is tearing itself apart? How do you have peace? That makes no sense. How can you smile as you carry around the oxygen tanks so that you can get another full breath? How can you have hope? When the doctor says you have terminal cancer or that your heart needs to be operated on, how can you smile and say, regardless of what happens, I trust that God is in control and I want him to help himself to my life. I've heard people say that to me in this church. Freaking Tony Pekka. I want to I I grow up to be like Batman with a faith like that. A faith that says, regardless of what happens to me, I'm going to obey. Or like Gary, and this is a, this is a story I have to tell, share you at some point when I have permission. But somebody who says, you know, I've got have got a mom who who has Alzheimer's, and I'm just go- I'm going to dedicate, however long she lives, tend- ended up being ten years, dedicate it to caring for my mother. Guys, from the world's perspective, that's not glorified glory, but in Christ's economy and the kingdom of God, saying. I will love this person even though nobody knows about it. I'm, I'm humbled by that. And I know that you don't know the context of it. It's a story I can't wait to share with you at some point. I just there are pictures in this room of men and women, followers of Jesus Christ. You get it. And your lives, there's just something different about it. You're living, you're truly living. And you're living because you were willing to die to yourself. And then I look at my own life and I go, what's holding me back? Because I want to live. I want my life to matter. I want purpose. So many people, like what what Thoreau said that, you know, humans live a life of quiet desperation as we kind of stoically go through life, but inside we're screaming, what's it all for? Well, here's the answer. If you try to live for yourself, you will only live for yourself. But if you are willing to die to yourself, you will discover life that is truly life. Jesus says exactly that. Whoever, anyone who loves their life will lose it. You try to protect yourself. You try to stay comfortable and safe. That's all you get. I hope you enjoyed your life. But if you are willing to lose your life for me if you are willing to sacrifice your life if you are willing to die to yourself you will experience life that is truly life and you will experience it eternally now this begs a really important question that we must answer and i'm going to try to do it briefly what does it look like to die to ourselves what does that mean and i will just be i'll be honest with you that is going to look different for every single one of us in this room and every single one of you listening online. It will look different for us. Because we are all at different places in our life. We are all, the whole, we all are following the same God. But he may ask us different things given our context. But it all boils down to one word. If I had to try to articulate what dying to ourselves looks like, it boils down to one word obedience. Obeying Christ is the sum total of what it means to die to ourselves. It means I won't live for what I value if if he says, and by the way, that pretty much means that worship becomes synonymous with discipleship, doesn't it? Because what is discipleship? Here's my rabbi. I want to be more like my rabbi. So what am I going to do? I'm going to follow my rabbi wherever he leads. I want to literally, if I see him stoop, I'm going to stoop. If I see him jump over a puddle, I'll jump over the puddle. If I see him greet somebody, I will greet them. If I see him walk past somebody, I'll walk past them. Whatever he says, I'm listening because I want to be shaped by my proximity to my rabbi. That's discipleship. It's also worship. Because worship says I will order my life around that which I value most. I value this so much that everything else can go. Pearl of great price, right? It has so much value that I will sell everything else to buy the pearl. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Worship and discipleship are the same thing. And they all boil down to one thing, obedience. Jesus put it this way in John 8. If you are my disciples, then you'll do what I say. You'll obey me, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Worship and discipleship are obedience. Now, what does obedience mean? That is where it's going to look different for each of us. What does obedience mean when it comes to filling out your tax returns? Obedience, not to the IRS, but to God. What does obedience look like when it comes to um, what you watch, what you listen to? What does obedience to God look like when it comes to how you interact with your spouse or with your children, or when you screw that up because you're selfish and, and, and you're, you're prideful and, and, you, and you made a mistake? What does obedience look like when you realize, crud, I messed up? Do you put it all back on them or, you know? This is where following our Lord and ordering our life and being shaped in his image, that's where, the, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. And this is the invitation to all of us. If you live for yourself, you'll never experience the life that you were created for and you will never experience the purpose of, that you were created to do, namely to, cr- to make fruit and to reflect the heart of God into this world. But if you are willing to die, you will live. We invite the worship team to come forward because we are going to go into a time of response. And again, I just screwed up because I called them the worship team, as if that's worship, right? They are going to lead us in a time of response. I think I'm gonna start calling them the response team. Because right now, guys, this is when the rubber meets the road. This is the point where we get to start putting... What we've talked about into action, we are going to respond to what we've heard, and that might look like a couple of things. We're about to sing a song that basically sums up the heart of what this message and this passage invites us into, and that is to take an act of of humble submission, where we peel the fingers of our hearts back from the things that we value most, our comfort, our significance, our stuff, and our accumulation, and we say, God, you can have it all. You can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. I'm ultimately laying my heart at your feet and saying, take this heart and breathe on it and breathe new life into it, new, a new sense of purpose. Everything I have is yours. That's the invitation for you. And you may choose to sing these words because they resonate with your heart. They become your cry. If so, do it. Do it unabashedly. Don't worry if you sing off key. I do too. He doesn't listen to your voice. He listens to your heart. Don't worry what other people are doing. If you want to stand up, stand up. If you don't want to stand up because you feel it's more honoring to God to stay right where you're at, do it. If you want to come up in the front and you want to kneel down just as an act of submission, do it. Or you might just feel like right now the most honest response is, I don't have that desire. I don't want to die to myself. I'm afraid. And if that's you, then maybe just have an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit. This is where the rubber meets the road. And if you need prayer, I know that Jeff's in the back there with Jen. I'm up here. I got Dee and Connie right there. I got Fippers right here. You guys can come up and kind of situate yourself. If you need prayer, just come and grab one of us. Even Jeannie and Charlie, these these two are prayer warriors too. Small but mighty. I love you. I I try not to, but it's just let's respond right now to a father god who loves us so much that he's not willing to let us live small insignificant lives he invites us into something far greater but in order to do that we need to die to ourselves and obey let's worship our god together father we are grateful for the ways you love us we're grateful for the ways you you restore back to us not just the life we lost when our our, our most ancient ancestors disobeyed but you restore back the purpose for which we were created namely to reflect your heart and join you in making a world that reflects your values your kingdom come your will be done on earth in our country in our city in our homes and in our hearts just as it is in heaven We want to respond to you now. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We pray that you would breathe on these hearts that we now offer to you. Jesus, in your name. Amen.
0: You can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world. Take this life and breathe. heart that is now
1: God, that is our prayer. We alter our lives, meaning we lay it down at your altar and pray that you would help yourself to it. Would you do in us what you created us to do? Guide us where you you created us to go. Glorify yourself in us, no matter the cost. We pray for perspective, that we would recognize what it is we're holding on to and what it is we're releasing in order to try to protect our comfort. And Father God, I pray that you would give us the courage to follow you, regardless of your need, as our act of worship as your disciples. pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey guys, a couple of things I want to let you know about. First. We are going to totally switch up the order of worship next week. We're going to try something new because we're going to create some extra time at the end to respond. There's going to be some really fun things we're going to do next week. And I would encourage you, one, to come prepared to to worship in some ways that you don't normally worship. Secondly, though, I would encourage you to get here on time. Otherwise, you know, you're going to miss, actually... Uh, a good, if you show up when you normally show up, you'll probably miss the first five minutes of, of the message. So, you know, don't come for that. But I'll give you a hard time if you show up late. No. Secondly, I know that some of you were aware that uh, we had somebody leave. Robert Bell needed to go to the, the hospital in the middle of the service. Um, I, that's kind of praying in the back of my mind as that was all happening. For those of you who were helping him, I'm really grateful for th- those of you who have a gifting of, of just knowing how to care for people. And so know that we are praying for him and we're going to pray for him in just a moment. Um, but I also want to recognize that Marcel is just about to leave here uh, for a missions trip to Italy uh, to go and share the gospel. And God has just made this man a, a consummate evangelist. You should see the list of names he asks us to pray with him for every single week. But God is asking him to go to Italy for a, a, a season to invest there, and I'd like to ask him to come up here because I'd like to pray over Marcel as we commission him to go. Not that he needs our encouragement, but simply just to invite the Holy Spirit to help himself to this man. Actually, Marcel, why don't you come on down here? And for the, you know, so we're going to pray for Robert, but we're also going to pray for Marcel, one that is staying, I'm just praying God's hand, but one that is going right now for a little bit. And if you want to extend a hand, ah. <sighs> Actually, if some of you feel compelled even to come down and put a, place a hand on Marcel, I welcome it. But Father God, we first want to begin by lifting up Robert, and we thank you for our brother. We thank you for the joy that you have placed in his heart, and we pray that you would have your hand upon him as, as the doctors care for him. And would you give us wisdom to know as his, his church family to know how to care for him? And Father, for Marcel, as he prepares to go, you already know who he's going to interact with. You already know the seeds that will be planted from this man sacrificing time and and finances and his comfort to follow your lead. And we pray that you would do immeasurably more than he could ever ask or imagine in this endeavor. Glorify yourself through him. It is not his name that he is going to make great. It's yours. And there's a lot of people who right now are walking in the darkness and you have called this man to go and, and be a light shining in the darkness. I pray that he would reflect your heart well. For your name's sake, Jesus. For your glory, Father, and by your power, Holy Spirit. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a wonderful week.
0: I just want to move yeah. your